Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart. Welcome guys and gals to the Mobile Home Park Academy's weekly podcast, where we'll provide all the information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on, and make huge profits from the lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp, and in today's show, we're going to be speaking with manufactured housing industry expert and living legend, Ken Corbin. Kent started his career in the financing side of things, working with the largest lender in the manufactured housing space at the time. As an entrepreneur, he was influential in putting together the largest private placement of its type on Wall Street. Ken brought together some of the premier retailers in the manufactured housing industry with that $30 million investment. He later became president of one of these companies. In fact, there were more manufactured homes sold at Ken's address than any other address anywhere in the United States, and that record still stands today. Ken received his MBA from the University of Michigan and is a former advisory consultant to the American Graduate School of International Management. He's also on the board of trustees of Habitat for Humanity. Uh, Today, Ken travels throughout North America and has spoken to over 2,000 organizations, including over 400 communities, retailers, manufacturers, and associations in the manufactured housing industry. And if that wasn't impressive enough, Ken is also the author of eight books on sales growth, personal and business management. His newest audiobook, Selling an American Dream of Home Ownership, is 10 hours in length. Okay, guys, so I'm anxious to get onto the show with Ken, but first I would just want to run through a quick laundry list of items here. Just got a few of them I want to go through with you. First off, uh, we're in acquisition mode here at Sunrise Capital. Uh, we kind of have been for the past year. I just, I've never really mentioned it on the show here, but uh, we are in acquisition mode. We're always in acquisition mode and we're looking for our next killer deal or deals. Okay. That's more so plural than singular because we're looking for more deals. Okay. We're open to joint ventures uh, for those who find a great deal, but maybe lack the funding, the track record and or the expertise to take it down successfully uh, on your own. So uh, maybe you're just looking for a, a big paycheck in exchange for helping locate a great deal. We do that. We pay big finders fees. Uh, that's absolutely fine. Uh, but really the bottom line is if, if you find a great deal and you'd like to work with uh, with a team who can help you get the deal done, then we need to talk. Uh, you, just, you can contact me directly. My personal email address is kevin at kevinbupp.com. Um, to shoot me an email if you have an opportunity that you'd like to discuss. And just to add some clarity to what we're seeking, uh, basically, we will look at or consider uh, any park with a minimum of 60 lots, uh, and there is no maximum size limitation. So if it's got a 1,500 lots in it, we'll look at that. If it's a portfolio of 3,000 lots, we'll look at that as well. Uh, We can do deals as small as uh, half a million dollars and um, have the ability to do deals as large as 25 million, okay? So if you're interested in creating a win-win relationship and doing some deals together, um, let's make it happen. So again, contact me directly, kevin at kevinbup.com if you have a deal that you'd like to discuss. Um, next up, uh, we just closed on a uh, our most recent acquisition. I mentioned this actually in last week's show. Um, this closing happened, uh, I guess, two weeks ago. It's a four-star, 122-space mobile home park in Akron, New York, which is in the Buffalo MSA. Um, in fact, next week, I'm going to be releasing a video drive-through podcast uh, so that you can see kind of firsthand, so you see what this community looks like firsthand. And I would 
will tell you that this is by far the nicest community that we own in our portfolio today. And uh, quite honestly, it's probably one of the nicest parks that I've, I've personally ever been through. Um, it doesn't have any, any any amenities. I don't have a swimming pool or um, any other you know, cra- you know crazy clubhouse or anything like that, but it's gorgeous. Um, a large number of the homes are double wides, and, and most of them have one or two car attached garages. Uh, in fact, the average sales price for used homes in this community uh, revolve around 85000 or so. And there's some homes in there that have sold for over $120,000. And these are all used homes. Okay, so it's a gorgeous community. Um, a couple of exciting things about this deal. Number one, it's 98% occupied. Uh, number two, it's in excellent shape. I mean, it is gorgeous. It really needs nothing. And number three, probably the most exciting, is that the lot rents are approximately... 30 to 40% below market, okay? There are actually two parks down the road. Um, one's equally as nice, and the other is probably a few notches down in quality. And um, the lot rents on these other parks start at 470 and go as high as 530. And the park that we just purchased are in the 260 to 290 range, depending on what part of the park that you're located in. So uh, we're incredibly excited about this one. And, um, you know, on top of that, we we're able to structure some awesome, attractive owner financing terms, um, pretty equivalent to what you would expect from a Fannie loan or CMBS loan, 30-year AM, 5% rate, uh, although there is a five-year balloon in place. So we'll be looking to raise rents to market in this park and uh, take you know, get some takeout debt with Fannie or, or a conduit loan, okay? So uh, within that first five years, we'll be looking to do some new debt once we get rents up to market. Um Guys, that kind of leads me on to my next point. Uh, we're always seeking individuals who have an interest in uh, working with us or partnering with us in our fund. Uh, we have a fund currently today, and we're going to be opening up additional funds here in the future. In fact, we're shooting for our second fund to open towards the end of the first quarter of 2018. Okay, so if you are an accredited investor and you have an interest in putting your hard-earned money to work in one of the most proven asset classes that uh, that's, I really say, known to man, which is mobile home parks, uh, you can get more information. You can go right to our website and download our investment prospectus, our private placement memorandum. Uh, our website is sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Uh, lastly, guys, before we get on the show, uh, I just want to make a mention. I always make this mention, but um, I'm in the Tampa Bay area in Clearwater, Florida. If you happen to find yourself here locally and have a, some extra time during your visit, let me know. And I'd love to get together and meet you in person, uh, grab a cup of coffee, beer, lunch, dinner, whatever you have time for. Uh, my personal email again is kevin at kevinbup.com. Just shoot me an email when you're coming into town and let's try to coordinate getting together. So guys, without further ado, I'd like to welcome my good friend, Ken Corbin to the show. Ken, how are you doing today? Kevin, I'm doing great. And you're down in the Tampa area and greetings here from Mexico. Yes, yes. You're on the other side of the country. Or actually, you are in a different country on the other side of our country, just south then, right? How far are you from San Diego, Ken? I'm about six hours from San Diego, okay. directly east of uh, Puerto Vallarta, and uh, up surrounded by the Sierra Madre Mountains and overlooking Lake Chapala, which is the largest natural lake down in this area. And, and this area happens to be right now the largest expat community in the world and, and growing at a rapid pace. Very, very but cool. But I'm glad to be with you. And, and, and I also hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and looking forward to a wonderful Christmas. Yeah. Well, good deal, Ken. Well, I've been looking forward to our time together. Um, I know we've been trying to coordinate this this uh, this call together for a couple of weeks or a couple of months now, and uh, so I'm glad to finally have you here. And what I'd like you to do, for those that, that don't know about you, Ken, that you know, I gave you a little bit of a background or introduction here in the beginning, um, but maybe if you could just take a few minutes and uh, fill in some of the blanks and tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and, more importantly, how you got into this industry. Well, <clears throat> well I actually started from the finance arm. 
and enjoyed working on the lending of manufactured homes, both from a retail perspective and also inventory, and got in touch with a group called Clayton Williams in Sherwood out of Fountain Valley, California. And in the late 70s, early 80s, they were the largest owner of manufactured housing communities in the United States. And I had always wanted to get involved in actually selling the homes on site and was fortunate enough to join their group. And as a single guy, I was able to travel from California to Texas to Georgia and then down into the Florida market and work with filling each and every one of their communities. And as they were filled, of course, then move on to the next phase. Wonderful opportunity. Uh, we completed that project and I joined the largest retailer group at that point in time, which was Oakwood Homes. I still had a primary residence in Texas and ended up running all of their operations in Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. Um, then as they were acquired, joined the actual group of Clayton and worked out of their corporate office for a period of time and then took over and ran their entire southeastern operations from the Carolinas all the way down through Alabama and into Florida. So I've had an opportunity to pretty much see every retail segment as well as the financing segment in our industry. Also working not only with those retail groups, but all the community groups as well, which I have began to specialize in because of the huge growth, as you and I are seeing, on the community end. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to ask you, Ken, uh, during your, your sense at these different companies on the sales side, were you selling more so to the, the park owners and operators, or were you selling directly to the end consumer? Well, at that point in time, it was primarily to the direct consumers. Okay. And we've seen a huge paradigm shift from that point in time where you were seeing only about 25% of the homes in, in the late 2000s going into communities, whereas the estimate now is upwards of 80% by the year 2020. In fact, mm. uh, last year we were just under 50% of all homes are going into communities. So that segment obviously is growing exponentially. So when you say they're going into communities, that like the other uh, alternative would be that they're going uh, on their own piece of land, correct? Like a land home package? Correct. Got it. Okay. Correct. And, and that's only uh, running about uh, 50% last year and will only be approximately 20% by the year 2020, where the manufacturers will end up actually building more of the modular structures that will take over manufactured that hmm. will be going onto private sites where the manufactured or chattel loan type homes will continue growing and going into the community. Mm -hmm. So you've been in this business quite a long time. Um, I mean, I, I'm very fresh. I mean, I, I'm really a newbie in comparison to the the time that you've spent in, in, in the industry. And so my perspective is very skewed because things have been really good for the past four or five years that I've been in this business, right? I, you know, it, it, it's, it's, 
I feel like there's there's two different generations in this business, and then there's the hybrid of the two. There's the the generation that existed uh, prior to the chattel crisis back in the uh, the late '90s um, that might still own communities today, but obviously they they kind of got their start. Things were good, and then things took a downhill turn, and then slowly built back up over time. Then you got like me, like the new generation, which never dealt with the downside of the industry or any of the challenges that it faced. Um, you know, so my, I don't I don't have the experience of being in this business when times were bad. And so what I'd love from you, Ken, is just get a general overview. Give me a 10,000-foot view of really the, the, the changes that you've seen over the years of your time in the industry, both, both positive and negative. Well, I, I, I can tell you there was what is commonly termed the 10,000 drop. And that was between the year of 2000 and 2016, where there were approximately 10,000, excuse me, retailers and manufacturers who had gone out of the manufactured housing business. And that was either through simply uh, liquidating in your company, going bankrupt, or through acquisition. And at the same time, we began to see now that upswing beginning to go back. And again, the community end is probably... And not probably, it is the largest growing sector. And the group that you're working with and the things that you've done is typical of the young, bright entrepreneurs who are seeing the value in this industry and moving forward. There's just a huge paradigm shift from the manufactured housing retailers, which are pretty much gone in virtually every market, to the communities which are now selling the homes directly going into their parks. And we're seeing, unfortunately, the downside is that many of these communities are simply giving the homes away just to fill spaces, Mm -hmm. where there's such an opportunity to continue to make a reasonable profit instead of just worrying solely about filling spaces. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit, but more so I want to approach it from the angle of new home sales because when you when you mentioned that there's some community operators out there that give homes away just to fill a vacant space, I, I don't even if it's a really rough home that doesn't have a lot of value to it, I don't think that that is a, a good business model. You're not going to attract the best tenant base when you're just giving homes away. And so what I'd love to do is I want to focus on the new home sales and more so uh, from your perspective. What role do new home sales have in our industry today? I mean, you know, there's a lot of parks out there that still have a large, uh, a large number of empty lots in them that are what I think are a result of the, the chattel crisis that happened, you know, when repos um, were in their all-time high. You know, a lot of parks didn't even fully recover from that. And so talk to me about new home sales, what role they have, and then how you participate in that role as well. Well, my function primarily is to work with community owners who have purchased or acquired these communities and see the large number of vacancies in those parks, but at the same time begin to understand that over the next few years, there's going to be just a tremendous opportunity for growth. And as an example, we have 323 million people in the United States today, and Just this year, we're going to see approximately, according to Forbes, 375,000 new apartments being built, 
which is an increase of 21% just over last year. But at the same time, the, that growth will continue from the standpoint that we're going to see an increase of approximately 27 million people here in the States over the next 10 years. That mix will be, when you look at new home buyers, the folks, the, the later millennials, as we'll call them, people in their uh, late 20s to late 30s, approximately 40 million to 48 million people will make up uh, a growth of 12%, but 30% of all the home buyers in the states over the next 10 years. And that target group, the late 20s to the late 30s, Kevin, is the group that typically looks at owning a manufactured home as a first time home buyer. Hmm. In fact, Forbes, as I mentioned, said it's going to be at 12%. USA Today figures uh, just over 13%. On the other end of the spectrum, the final group of the baby boomers, the folks in their 60s, will represent approximately 30%, pardon me, 35% over that next 10 years. And many of those people are looking to manufactured housing as a simple, easier way to live with very, very little maintenance. And so they may end up actually buying two homes, one down in your market in Florida or Arizona, mm -hmm. and then continuing to have a home, say, in the upper Midwest. So that growth pattern over the next 10 years is going to be huge. And so my, my part is going in, helping to analyze a community, saying, okay, where are you at today? Where do you want to be tomorrow? And let's figure out the plan, the business plan, to get you to that point. Mm -hmm. Got it. What, what, what's your argument to um, experts out there, and, and it more so comes from the, um, the multifamily sector, um, that we're turning, like we're kind of converting into a nation of renters versus a nation of homeowners because people want to have more mobility, have more flexibility, and get up and move and not be tied down. What's your take on that, and uh, how does how does manufactured housing fit into that? Well, I, I take a totally different view. Um, I, I mentioned the, those growth patterns mm -hmm. of the uh, late 20s to late 30s and then the folks in their 60s. At the same time, over the next 10 years, we're going to see a complete flat line. In other words, zero growth of people in their 20s. And those are the people that typically today are, are renting. We're going to see those people, those people, those those older millennials, who have this huge pent up demand. They're tired of living with mom and dad. They're tired of renting and paying somebody someone else's house payment. They want to own a home, yet we're seeing both husband and wife are working, one to two children. Uh, that first time home buyers uh, typically is going to be a blue collar worker with a household total income of somewhere between forty and sixty thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So instead of going out and renting manufactured housing in communities that are well managed and well maintained will do exceedingly well. As an example, right now, nationwide, manufactured housing occupancy average is just over eighty eight percent, which is huge. And at the same time, 
there was only three new communities built in the United States this last year. So the communities that can be acquired, that can continue to upgrade and offer quality homes to today's who want to be home buyers will continue to flourish. And you just mentioned one of the, the, the favorite parts of, of this business to me, Ken, or I guess one of the most attractive uh, components is the barrier to entry and that new communities are not being built. I mean, not at a, a staggering rate by any means. I mean, three last year. And I, I mean, who knows how many were actually shut down or torn down, redeveloped for higher and better use, right? I'm, I'm assuming probably more than three. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. The the, the higher use factor has, has, been, has been very prominent where developers will come in and, and purchase communities and then do commercial developments, you know, uh, even track housing, uh, but more importantly, commercial developments. And at the same time, some of these communities that are out there today are able to expand, and there's no really solid numbers on that. But to start from raw dirt and go through the hierarchy of government regulations on both a state and, and as well as a local uh, basis can be can be very overwhelming. So and so what they're doing is they're saying let's buy an existing community if we have the opportunity to expand moderately let's do that. And Kevin, exactly, you're correct. That's what we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to stay on the topic of um, of new home buyers. Uh, you mentioned that the target demographic of first time home buyers. Somewhere with a total household income between forty and sixty thousand, you know, blue collared family. Talk to me a little bit about you know the choice or the decision uh, of of buying a manufactured house in a community where they're going to be paying lot rent and where they're not going to own the actual dirt, just going to be a land lease community, versus actually purchasing that stick built site built home that they actually own the dirt. There's real property underneath it attached to it. Is there a certain, you know, uh, savings that a buyer might be looking for? I mean, obviously, if you put two side by side to where they've got the stick built home, let's say the total mortgage payment is a thousand dollars a month, um, you know, PITI, and then you've got the the land lease community, or manufactured housing community, lot rent. I'm just going to use easy numbers here. Uh, um, lot rent's four hundred dollars a month, and the uh, the purchase price, you know, based on the purchase price of that new manufactured home, the double wide, that's going to give them the space they need for their two children, uh, family of four. Uh, you know, their total payment's going to be, you know, roughly, uh, you know, let's say, eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month between the house payment and the lot rent, and they have no control over the lot rent actually going up over time. How does that that this final decision? How's that made from a family to choose one over the other? Well, again, you're talking about two distinct segments. Your first segment is that first time home buyer, uh, that later millennial, and then you have those folks. Uh, who are the empty nesters. And, and I'll address the first-time homeowners okay, sure. uh, in the beginning. What, what we're seeing is, of course, the cost of new construction today continuing to grow at a dramatic rate. If you look at the, uh, the typical track builder, and we'll talk about someone like Pulte as an example, who will go in and, and buy uh, some raw land and throw up three or four models for someone to come in and take a look at, uh, that cost per square foot today, even for an entry level home, is running anywhere from 110 to 125 dollars per square foot. And if you get into anything customized, you can easily reach 
$200 per square foot and more. Mm-hmm. At the same time, manufactured housing uh, has found that there's two distinct segments. That first-time home buyer that we're talking about, where they can purchase a new home for less than $50 a square foot, in many cases down to $40 a square foot. And so there's obvious, uh, obviously a, a considerable change just in, in square footage cost. At the same time, they're buying a lifestyle. They're not wanting to, with both of them working, have to worry about all the maintenance of the home. You know, they, they're moving into a community, in many of these cases, in a family community, and their overall expense from their perspective is lower. At the same time, on, on the new home, there are some attractive uh, finance options, but you and I will see over the next two years an even more dramatic shift to financing options from people like Fannie Mae. And I'll be speaking uh, this coming year at the large home shows, both in Louisville and Tunica. And I'm actually putting together all of the programs for Tunica. And the presenter this year, who's going to be talking about all the new finance options that now Fannie Mae will offer, will make home buying for the manufactured home buyer all that more attractive. So I think the financing is the biggest change that we'll see that will make new home buyers uh, more attractive to our segment. Mm-hmm. But we're continuing to see the growth, uh, regardless on, on 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 that new home buyer and and the older buyer who who totally wants to buy a lifestyle. And as I mentioned earlier, is wanting to have not only one but frequently two homes. So financing will be the big key. Do you, do you feel pretty confident that Fannie Mae is going to uh, truly enter into this space? I know that it's um, it, it's it's been in the works for quite some time, but how confident are you that a program will roll out uh, nationwide sometime in the next five or so years? Is that realistic? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I was in Iowa uh, working with the Iowa Manufactured Housing Association two weeks ago. And a representative of USDA was there, Hmm. and they announced that they have opened up a pilot program for chattel lending, or home only, exactly what we're looking at in manufactured homes. In one of their markets as a test, so far the test has been very good, and they are now looking at Iowa to take and expand that test into another market and then slowly expand it. So not only will we see uh, Fannie Mae entering the business, we're going to see USDA, and we're going to see more and more lenders move into the manufactured housing industry because they see the opportunities that we offer. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. You know, it's, it's very exciting. I know that there was um, multiple discussions on this up at SECO a few months back, and uh, it definitely caught my attention. So I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing more about that as it uh, gets closer to rolling out, because I think that really will be a game changer for our industry, especially as it pertains to new home sales, which which I, you know, I personally feel, Ken, and I'd love to get your, your feedback on this. You know, when we look at a community to purchase, 
we look at um, how can we add value to that community or how can we in, more so increase the value? I should put, put it that way. How can we increase the value of that community? And there's you know, what I consider to be low-hanging fruit ways and then there's high-hanging fruit ways. And uh, to me, the low-hanging fruit is when you can buy a community that has under-market rents. Like I mentioned, the one we just purchased in the Buffalo area. Uh, gorgeous community. It's got uh, rents that have just not kept up. I mean, the, the previous owner just didn't do rental increases on an annual basis and he has fallen way below what the rest of the market's at. So that's very low-hanging fruit for us to increase the actual overall valuation of that community. Um, Whereas the higher-hanging fruit that I consider is a park that's got some empty lots uh, in it to where that is the the value-add component is infilling those empty lots. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about that and your perspective um, of – I guess the logistics behind bringing homes in, um, putting together an effective sales program. And I know that we've, we've recently hired you, Ken. We brought you on board to help us in one of our communities in Alabama where we've got a new home sales program in place. And so I know that you play that role in a lot of other communities as well. But talk to us about just the overall logistics of that. And I guess what I'm looking for is for those that listen into the show, we've got a lot of uh, existing park owners, but also those that are just looking to break into the industry, right? And they might be looking at parks that have a lot of uh, empty lots and info opportunity. Just speak to us about, you know, the challenges behind that, the good, the bad, the ugly of bringing new homes in. Sure. Well, let's, let's start with that low hanging fruit. And the thing that I see everywhere that I go, is existing owners are telling me, well, I know I haven't raised the rent here in five years and I need to do it. And so they make a huge increase or they say, I just simply don't want to do it because I'm afraid someone's going to leave. Mm -hmm. And that's not the approach to do. Slow incremental increases are the way to go. And we see that, as you know, with with the manufacturers out there. Instead of coming out with a 10 or 12% increase in price, they'll either tie the increases into lower moderate uh, prices based on lumber surcharges, or they'll maybe increase rent 1-2%. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's like that frog that you put in the hot water. You really don't begin to feel it. And at the same time, Uh, On your other point, there is such an opportunity with all of these vacancies. Many people say, well, what I'll just simply do is rehab old homes or bring in old homes into my community. Well, they're still older homes. So to increase the value, slowly begin to bring in models. and, And it's so important. What you need to do is take and stage every one of those homes, because today's home buyer, especially that first-time home buyer, they don't have the vision or the imagination where they can walk in and see and visualize how this home can fit into their lifestyle. So by just taking and staging one or two homes, they're going to be able to begin to sell homes at a reasonable profit instead of simply giving homes away just to fill spaces. That's the key. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, can I agree with that? Because we started staging homes after uh, you'd given us that advice uh, in the community over in Alabama, and um, what a world of difference! Uh, I mean, it just—you're you're right. I mean, it's not even—I don't think first-time home buyers that don't can't have that vision. I mean, gosh, and I'm, this is not the harp of my wife. I love her to death. She's a wonderful woman, but we're building a home right now, and um, she literally—the the, the walls are up, the studs are up, the, the roof is on. Um, and the rooms are all, you know, layered out, but there's no drywall up. It's just all, every, all the electrical and, and plumbing's roughed in. She still cannot see what it's going to look like until she actually has a finished product. And honestly, once it's finished, until there's furniture in there, she still can't visualize what exactly it's going to look like. And I, and I just, some people can, and some people can't, but I think for the most part, um, buyers, they can't visualize what it's going to look like with their furniture, with their rug, with their pictures on the wall, you know? And, and, and so I think the staging aspect, um, does a world of good and, uh, it's not very expensive either. You know, I, I can't recall what we spent, but maybe a couple thousand dollars. And the, the good thing is we can sell that furniture. If someone really wants it that bad, we can sell it with the home as a, as a furniture home package, or we can just sell the home, move the furniture to the next unit and stage the next one. So, well, at the same time, you and I attend Kevin, these large uh, home shows where manufacturers will bring in their models and on a, a very inexpensive single wide, they're they're spending anywhere from six to ten thousand dollars staging a home for you and I to look at, and we're not even the eventual buyers because they know they want to get our attention and say, "Oh, isn't this home pretty?" Mm-hmm. As as they used to say, "Ain't it pretty? Don't you like it? Want to buy it?" Well, that's still the case today for people like you and I. They want us to see not only from our respect how beautiful the home can be. But to tell you and teach you what you and I can do on a community level to make that customer walk in and, and have what I call that awe or wow factor and say, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to live in. This is the lifestyle for myself and my family. So you're absolutely correct. Yeah. So uh, it kind of leads me on to my next point. You had already mentioned this a little bit uh, when we were talking about adding value to a community. And, and one of those was swapping out older homes with new ones. I know there's two different trains of thought here. One is that, you know, you've got, let's, let's say you've got a, a, a park, it's 100 spaces, 100 spaces are occupied. And let's say that half the park is, you know, post 2000 model homes. And the other half is, you know, 70s and 80s models, right? So completely different distinction between the two different sides of the park. What is the benefit? If you got a park that's 100% occupied, um, rents are strong, good market, what, what is the benefit over time of starting to swap out those older homes that um, don't really match the new modern style homes that have pitched roofs, vinyl siding, that tend to look more like a stick-built home than a, you know, than a trailer? It, are there other benefits to doing that? I mean, it, it, as far as adding value to the overall community, um, attracting a higher quality of resident, what do you see throughout your travels? Well, I, I see two distinct segments again. Uh, when you're talking the plus 2,000 homes, in many instances, as long as they have the vinyl siding or they ha- and or the shingled roof, that type of home, I have no issue going in and spending a reasonable amount of money, and, and that could be upwards of $10,000, to make that home look fresh, look modern, as you would say. 
But homes typically that have either the metal roof and or the metal siding, um, there's not much you can do to make that home attractive. And those homes typically should go away. And you're going to find in communities today, even with the 2,000 plus homes, many of the occupants who get into a financial bind will end up actually simply signing over the title to the park because they're, if they're past due on their house payments, uh, they're obviously going to pass, be past due on their rent. Mm-hmm. And notice simply sign it over to you. You go in, do everything on a very neutral tone. Whatever you do, don't try to be cute. Don't try to be flashy. Use um, off-white or eggshell paint on the walls all the way throughout. Use a good base coat or a binding paint like a one, two, three. Paint it over. Make sure the floors are clean. Make sure the floors are sealed because many of these homes have had pets in them. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there may be some urine stains. So clean up the floors, clean up the walls. And in many cases, you can actually paint the cabinets or go down to Lowe's or Home Depot and and buy inexpensive cabinets to put in. Put in uh, some relatively inexpensive appliances and you're going to have a home that you can easily sell for over $20,000 with an investment of maybe 10 because you have zero going in other than your past due rent. Mm-hmm. And you put in $10,000, you're making a $10,000 profit, which is far more than typically you'll get on a new home. Of course, on the other side of the spectrum, the new homes are easy to put in, easy to flash up. Uh, the expense out of pocket cannot be quite as high as on the pre-owned home, but you do have that expense of the installation, uh, the skirting, the decks, um, and, and, and some and some basic landscaping plus the furniture. But on the furniture, as you mentioned, once you stage a home, what I typically recommend doing is going down to a local furniture company. And I've done this in countless cases and working out a deal where they'll actually come in, stage the home. And of course, you market the home with that furniture company, because time and time again, we see a customer walk in and say, I love this home. I want it exactly the way it is with this furniture. You have no out-of-pocket expense. They're selling a home with some furniture. And you simply move on to the next model. And and you'll generally have enough even financing space when they purchase that home. They can finance the furniture as well. Hmm. So that's my thought on it. Okay. Okay. No, that, that's great advice. I, I actually never thought about working out some type of relationship with a local furniture company to you know stage their furniture, give them advertising in exchange for you getting furniture to put in your unit. So that, that's a, that's kind of sounds like a no-brainer to me. Is that a – is that a uh, – a solution that you've seen happen uh, on more than one occasion uh, where a local furniture? Oh, yes. Okay, okay. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, of course, the other option is there's there's decor and furniture companies in the manufactured housing industry. Yes. Probably the largest is a group called uh, Jamie's Decor out of, uh, I believe they're out of Tennessee, and they do a wonderful job. All you simply have to do is send them a copy of the floor plan 
a copy of the invoice with the color, and they know exactly what to do to stage that home properly in the appropriate rooms, generally the living room, the kitchen, the master bedroom, and the master bath. Mm -hmm. And I, I typically don't recommend doing much with the secondary bedrooms because we want to show those homes as large as we can, with the exception of maybe showing one room in a model that could be utilized as an office or a playroom or a hobby room and so forth. Mm-hmm. No, no. It's, and we've actually used Jamie's. They, they, they were great to work with. So um, very good people and uh, did a great job as well. Very affordable also. Um, so lastly, Ken, we're running out of time here. I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, social media marketing or more, more so Facebook marketing as it pertains to new home sales. And uh, I know that you uh, you and I had recently discussed um, an experience that you had at a, a one of your, uh, your clients' um, parks up in Pennsylvania uh, to where they kind of did a uh, call it an open house over a weekend period of time where they really wanted to push some new home sales. And you guys had some incredible uh, success with utilizing Facebook marketing uh, to a targeted region that, you know, circumference you know, the location of this park. So can you speak to that a little bit and how you see Facebook marketing or just social media marketing in general changing this industry as it, as it pertains to sales? Because I can tell you up until recently, we really focused more so on on Craigslist and, and uh, just local advertising, but Craigslist kind of drove our truck on our side. I mean, that, that drove the sales. Uh, but now Facebook, it seems as though, is kind of uh, it's stepping its game up a little bit and becoming a more viable option for selling both new and used homes. And so can you speak to your experience with it a little bit? Sure. Uh, approximately 85% of the buyers of manufactured homes today use some form of social media. And that represents about 274 million people here in the United States. And with Facebook, fortunately, we are able to target specifically a market region. And I mean, you can drill it down, Kevin, to a specific zip code, a gender, which I typically go after female, Mm -hmm. uh, because they obviously, we know, ultimately make the housing decision. (laughs) Yes, they do. We can look at Of course, we can look at household income. We can look at keywords that they have been looking at in the past, such as new homes, apartments, mortgage financing, anything that relates to housing. And then we can even drill it down even more to find out if they have ever looked at a manufactured home or a modular home. So by drilling it down to a specific target audience, you can then invest your money into that group. And and the group that you were just talking about up in Pennsylvania, a client of mine, uh, they've been in business since 1970, and they've done open houses for the last 18, pardon me, 20 years. And I mentioned the 18 because in two and a half days, we were fortunate enough to take 18 deposits on new homes, and their previous high had been three. So if you look at that, we targeted specifically on new home buyers. None of those people that came in that weekend, and I've shared with you in the past, I believe, some of the pictures, we were flooded with new home buyers, people that didn't realize there was such an opportunity that they could purchase a new home 
for a reasonable price. And we used what we call a leader home. Uh, it was a three-bedroom, two-bath, very inexpensive single-section home that they could purchase for $49,989. We were blown away at the response, and we continue to build on that, not only with Facebook, but YouTube, which is free if used properly. You don't have to have video done. You can take a number of pictures and what they call stitch them together and give a wonderful, wonderful appearance, appearance, I beg your pardon, and then actually set up your own YouTube channel. And so, you know, YouTube has 1.8 billion users right now, where Facebook is 2.3 billion, where the USA Today, as an example, only has 2.3 million readers. So that's a, that's a huge difference. So I want to talk a little bit about the Facebook uh, success you had in that, that, uh, the, the community there in Pennsylvania. You said you had 18 uh, mm-hmm. deposits that were put down on new homes. What, I mean, I know you did some other local marketing as well. I'm not sure exactly what that was, mm-hmm. whether it was a newspaper, Craigslist, probably a combination of many different things. Oh. But were you guys, did you actually track uh, what percentage of your traffic came in from Facebook you know, to that open house? Yeah, and besides Facebook, we used in, in our industry what is called the gold standard, which is mhvillage.com. Okay. And, I, and I encourage all the listeners, if they're not using it, to please do so. Absolutely. I utilize what is called a guest registration. And I want to know every person that walks into that community, where they're from, and I track by zip code, what brought them in? What was, was it simply driving by? Uh, was it the, the community website? Was it a social media site that they visited, be it Facebook, YouTube, MH Village, and so forth? Um, I want to know, is this their first time in to visit us? So we can track and begin to see trends. And as an example, the zip code is essential. So you begin to see those pockets, Kevin, of where people come to visit you. And once again, you can target directly that audience or that geographical area in the future for more customers. Mm-hmm. So of those 18, and what was the number that I, do you know how many, how many actually came through Facebook of those 18 that you got deposits on? Overall social media, okay. uh, the traffic ended up being over 70% Okay. On social media. Wow, that's that's quite. I, I cannot tell you today uh, what percentage were specifically tied into purchasing. Sure. I, I, I from Fair a, from a thirty thousand foot feet, I want to see where they're coming from based on what was what was the mechanism or what was the trigger to get them in. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. Well, that, that that's exciting. I mean, that's incredibly exciting. So, I mean, for those that are that are listening into the show, I mean, if you're looking at buying your first park, or even if you're not buying parks today, if you're buying apartment buildings, you know, and, and you need to do a lease up, you've got empty vacant units. Think of Facebook and think of social media marketing. Add that to your arsenal. Don't just rely on uh, Craigslist or you know, uh, don't just rely on MH Village if you're in our space already, or 
don't just rely on there's I know there's a multitude of other different you know both apartment uh, and home rental listing sites that are out there think about social media and how you can integrate that into your business so uh, Ken we're running out of time here now and this is uh, this has been an absolute pleasure I'm so excited that we finally had the, the, the opportunity to bring you on the show and we could continue talking on and on, I'm sure, for another hour. Um, I mean, you're, you're just a wealth of knowledge, and uh, you've been in this industry quite some time. And um, it, it maybe what I'd like to do, because there are a few other topics that we did not get to cover, I'd love to maybe bring you on for a follow-up sometime here in the near future. But um, at this point, we are running out of time. But what I'd like to do, Ken, is for those that have an interest in learning more about you, your company, um, the numerous different books that you've that you've authored, What's the best way for them to either reach out to you directly or uh, find you on a website? Well, email is always the easiest, and okay. I, I've made it very simple. It's ken at callkenkorbin.com. Uh, you can call me on my cell phone. My cell number is area code 740-819-3096. And if any of your listeners has any questions whatsoever, I'd be happy to spend some time on the phone with them and see what I can do to help. Fantastic. Well, Ken, this has been a lot of fun. And guys, that's all we have for today's show. But just wanted to remind you real quick before we, uh, before we say goodbye about the free gift that we offer all listeners who take the time to go over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review for the podcast. Uh, we will give you a copy of the exact cold call script that we use in our very own business. Uh, we purchase, we have purchased a lot of parks uh, from cold calling as well as direct mail efforts, but cold calling is a big part of our arsenal. And again, we'll give you the exact cold call script that we use. So here's what you're going to do to redeem that free gift from us. After you submit your review to iTunes, just go ahead and send us an email to gift at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Just tell us who you are and what screen name that you use to leave that review, and we'll go ahead and shoot out that free gift to you. Also, be sure to stop by the Mobile Home Park Academy website at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. You can listen to all the previous podcast shows, um, which I think we're up to 84 or 85 now. So there's lots of, lots of free content on there. Um, in addition to the previous podcast shows, you can also download a free copy of our popular ebook, which is called The 21 Biggest Mistakes Investors Make When Purchasing Their First Mobile Home Park and How to Avoid Them. Um, this is definitely a required read, and it's free. So go ahead and grab a copy. And uh, that's all I have here, guys. So thank you again for joining us and looking forward to talking to you next week. So until then, you guys have a great week. Take care. Bye-bye. Congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Be sure to visit our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com, to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.